Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. Um, <laughs> where to start? Because I know you don't. What I'd like to talk about today, and it is a little difficult to know exactly where to begin <laughs> once we're in it. I'm quite all right. Uh, we can run with it. The Holy Spirit gives us inspiration, guidance, and direction. And we can go with it. Go with the flow. I, <laughs> I am a denier. That's a broad, very general and broad statement. Uh, it's okay to be a denier if there's no truth in it. It's wrong, however, implicitly so, to be a denier when all truth is in it. Uh, it seems to be popular today, current culture, this present dispensation of time. For one to look at another and say, you're just a denier. And what is it that they usually mean by that? Somehow we're denying truth. Somehow we're denying even more so the basis of truth, which would be science, knowledge. It's all accumulated. It's all amassed, amassed as in from the very beginnings of human awareness, consciousness, empiricism, touch it, taste it, feel it, experience it becomes knowledge. <laughs> and why is it all there? Why would it be purpose toward making life minimally so better, quality-wise? You could make that argument and make it quite sound. But really, it's adaptability in the sense of life or death. I know, I know, I know, I know. There's a lot of listeners out there to the podcast, they get tired of that message of life and death. Fortunately, we do live in a dispensation, time where life and death isn't as pronounced as might have been in other times, dispensations, when there were more material threats. And you could say, well, there's existential threat. Yes, but existential derived derivative of existence comes back to life and death. And even if it is existential, when you use the word <laughs> like denier, when you use the word existential, it gets a little vaporous. It gets a little ethereal there. And what is it worth if you can't connect it in some sort of pragmatic way to day-to-day -to -day existence? And therein is the plight of science and empiricism and a lack of imminence <laughs> to this life and death sort of dimension. You may not like the idea that every time you listen to me, I'm going to be talking about life and death. If we were in much more secular context, I probably would be also talking about adaptation, adaptability, and that context would then maybe be more toward, turned toward empiricism as with now science 
and knowledge. But most people who approach you as a denier do so from that very basis as their basis for truth, science, and empiricism. And thus, you talk about things that are beyond simple. I'm not saying they're beyond empiricism. They're just beyond simple calculation. It takes a little more than superficial study and observation. If you're going to cop, then, as basis for me being a denier of whatever it is that we're talking about, at least apply what that basis of calling me a denier is predicate upon. If it's science and empiricism, if it's research methodology, then use it to the fullest extent. Follow it as deeply as it would take you. Allow yourself to be objective and not simply because you have an opinion to convince me my opinion is wrong. I am not a science denier. I am a God believer. I am not a Christ denier. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in spiritual things and particularly the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of God. I believe in God's word to guide, lead, and direct not only me, but all those that I would within the context of specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling ministry. I believe in it enough. That's the basis of it. Life and death is the basis of all choice and decision. You can argue otherwise. You can try to take death out of the equation totally, but the wrong way by being dismissive in denial yourself. A denier. You can argue it's all existential at this point because really existence. There should be no threats to existence. We're beyond that. A sad to tell you this. Those who might believe in such things as that, you're wrong. Every day people die. You will die. You say, well, it really doesn't matter. I'll go ahead and experiment with ego death now so that I can address the existential crisis that I'm in. No. Well, you can. But it won't. No. It won't help you. Because one day you will have to face the end of your existence. That is as existential as it gets. The Word of God is not going to get lost in the weeds or lose you in the weeds because it always is predicated upon a choice of life and death. Should you choose life, not only do you get the wondrous blessing of life in material context, to the best <laughs> quality statement here, though we're able to have it, but should, even so, it end, which is not, in Bible terms, death. Death is secular, carnal, mortality terms. Bible terms, there's no such thing as death. That's what I've been preaching when I preach about life and death on the podcasts. That's what I've been preaching about. That and the simple fact that God has given us all things, equipped us for life. 
But we let knowledge get in the way. We let existential threats get in the way. We let all of this sort of ego death and experimentation and really fantasy fabrication of an alternate reality. Oh, look, we can make it whatever we want it because it really doesn't matter because existence is limited by time and space. No, it's not. How do you know it is? Oh, you're a denier of science and truth. No, I'm a believer. I believe that there is much more to natural existence, material existence, than I could possibly ever measure, that science could ever measure. And the inherent risk in science gone wild is that you could co-op it and use facts to justify any premise if you negate <laughs> the tethering of the premise, even science and empiricism, research methodology, to some truth. What is it that we're tethered to? Life and death. And in us, again, I believe God has given us all things that are necessary to life. Not only materially, which knowledge is not evil itself. Science is not bad. It is not evil. I am not a denier of science. I have, though, in Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit operations, extrasensory perception. It's not a parapsychological sort of phenomenon. It's legit. But you have to believe in Jesus. And what does that do? For those that are maybe still flatliners when it comes to this idea of science and denying science, as with accusation against all of us who believe, well, if you don't believe it, you're not going to see it because you're going to deny it. (laughs) Isn't that the paradox of all paradoxes? All those that run around wagging judgmentally so... In judgment. Fingers at all of us who are Christians and believe that somehow we are deniers. The paradox is, judge not lest you shall be judged. Choosing life is choosing the word of God. Choosing life is believing that implicitly in us all, God has given us the gift of life. If you don't start there, you're not going to be tethered to anything. And what is that tethering again? Not only for the sake of anchoring, calibrating, not necessarily justifying, but there's a certain element of justification, judgment, but it's not ours. It's a life and death basis here. Is it adaptive? Does it bring more life? For all you scientists out there, or maybe like me, who are quite all right with conversations with others who want to talk science and empiricism. But make sure whoever you're talking to, whomever, myself included, am willing to go to the deeper points of science. And that is... The stuff you're talking about will kill you sooner than the stuff I'm talking about in Bible terms. And with that, you are going to die when you get to death. I don't live by that standard. 
I choose life because life does not end with my carnality, mortality in terms of the human body, in terms of all the constructs that are predicated upon or built upon that foundation, the sand of my flesh, even those that historically have gone before. Because narrative, I can tell good stories, but it has to be attached to something. And the two primary attachments we've been discussing in the podcast of late, the book of Acts, (laughs) which is, I think, the Hebrew people's discovery, and if we allow ourselves to go right along with them, post-Jesus in carnal mortality dimension, flesh. He too passed on, but he didn't die. He was resurrected. And should it be that I even speak of resurrection? It's a moot point because he was never dead. Because he was not flesh only. He was spirit. And what type of spirit? He was Holy Spirit. He was there from the very beginning. He took on flesh even as God brought Holy Spirit to flesh definition in Adam. And all of this since Adam until the day of Christ's second coming. We will manifest that. That is awesome. But the book of Acts speaks to then the discovery. The scales falling off our eyes as to an awareness. Hey, wait a minute. We thought that somehow we could be separated from all those things that are necessary to life. Including the Holy Spirit and Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ says no. The empirical proof of that in the book of Acts is the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. But they received the Holy Spirit in the same way they did in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Even so, while Jesus was still there, but particularly on the day of Pentecost, which begins the book of Acts, because they just came to an understanding and awareness and were receptive. They quit being deniers. They had fallen into such the state of apostasy, biting of that off of that fruit, of death, living in the shadow of death, believing that they could not then find the answer to life because as much as God gave them the answer in word, through prophets, (laughs) through the writing down, even now so as we look at it from this, again, current dispensation, the Old Testament word of God, you can't Follow it literally because it still ends in that transition back to spirit. The Mount of Transfiguration, folks. Mark 9. It captures it all there. Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John. From flesh to spirit. They just could not grasp that they were spirit first and then God gave them flesh and then because of Christ and as the ambassador and the advocate with the father because of Christ they came to an awareness not only because of Mount of Transfiguration but coupling that as with an empirical they saw it, tasted it, touched it, felt it, smelled it 
if it had a smell. But it was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when they were all gathered together in one accord. The awareness hit them. Jesus has been trying to tell us all along. The Holy Spirit is alive in us. He just could not tell us because we were deniers. We'd fallen into such a state of apostasy. We were atheistic almost. If not, you could say, well, no. they believe. Well, yeah, but if you don't practice it, do you really believe it? That's also been what we've been discussing or what has been discussed in the podcast of late. You say you believe in love, but if you don't love, what does that say? You're atheistic. They were atheistic. You say you believe in God, but you really don't. You pretend like you believe in God, but the pretense is most obviously revealed. (laughs) You're you're, uh, out of the closet, so to speak. It's rooted out because you don't follow it. You preach a good word, but you don't do it. Again, it's life and death. It's pragmatics. It's the stuff of science. If you argue too much, he accuses himself, accuses himself, uh, he who accuses, accuses himself, I think is how it goes. Argues too much, accuses himself. The notion being, though, that they came to an awareness on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had been there all along. It didn't manifest itself that revelation, that empirical, that fact, as then would then rightly finish the paradigm of Word of God, old, the Gospels, new, book of Acts, proof of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, proof of Jesus being the Messiah, proof of Jesus being the Christ. Because he was resurrected, because he didn't die, because this thing called death in transfiguration terms, when I say transfigurative, transfiguration terms, what they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, it came to pass. He just had to come back in some sort of semblance of himself, resurrected body, so that they would believe. And he will return again in similar fashion when it is the end times, as with John the Revelator, the book of Revelation. So, too, that we might, all might, not only bow a knee to Jesus, but finish the judgment of God. But the judgment of God has been going on since the beginning of time. And for those who may, indeed, even as with last podcast, accept that this may be only a present, in present context or tense, a present dispensation, there are other epochs dispensations of time. Lucifer lived in a different dispensation of time. Satan lived in a different dispensation of time. Oh, he's alive today. I believe that, but he's alive today mostly because he still has influence and many people have drunk the Kool-Aid of what I believe (laughs) these two central premises. The Holy Spirit has been there all along. That is implicit in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as death. There is nothing to be said for eternal dimension of death when it comes to the divine soul. 
the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life. And with that then, once one accepts that second premise, there's no such thing as death. The Holy Spirit is eternal. There's no such thing as death. The judgment of God is manifest. Yes, there will be a white throne judgment. I believe that. I believe that is as much for the human race, my personal belief, as it is the individual. But every individual comprises the human race, the human species. And the battle is occurring now, but it's all based on a very basic, simple choice. Are you a denier or do you believe? And not only in Jesus, not only Old and New Testament Word of God, which are empirically sound. It's naturalistic observation. It is empirical study. The proof is there. Hypotheses, as with prophecy, of Old Testament have come true. What we will see in the book of Revelation is the culmination of generation upon generation manifestation of evil of the devil who isn't even in physical manifestation right now. He's alive because people still believe that stuff and can't make a good, sound, scientifically based choice to accept Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. And that the Holy Spirit of God has certainly physical dimension. It's all about life. Anything that's alive, God brought it to life. It is creativity. Should you want to make it psychological, you can. You can say it in those terms because it is awareness and consciousness and in that psychological operations and in that higher cortical functioning, frontal lobe, sort of decision-making, parasympathetic decision-making or sympathetic decision-making, not parasympathetic, reactive, fight-or-flight Really rudimentary life and death, but superficially so, sort of decisions. The choice to Jesus is implicit in the Word of God. That's why it's presented the way it is. It is the highest order of human thought. It meets all the foundational basic requirements of science empiricism. I don't need to argue that for those that believe. Because once you've accepted all of that and then Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior... All because the Holy Spirit from the very beginning of human creation has been continually ministering unto us out of that. It's just taken our psychology, our consciousness, our conscious awareness, our ability to empirically study it, the human apparatus, the knowledge of good and evil as with human apparatus, the brain, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system function, fight or flight reactive thought and then higher cortical rational reasoned logical thinking to get there 
And should it be that you're still a denier? You'll never get any further than that. And you will live in the shadow of death. And why would you expect then your life leading up to death, more so the experience of death, to be anything but semblant of hell? And with that Antichrist, and with that Book of Revelation sort of stuff. That's the judgment of God. But if you do not believe that the Holy Spirit has been there all along, then what you will be inclined to believe is that there is such thing as choice that saves you. (laughs) And choice does save you, but it is not choice as in human operation as it is in human operation to default to the Holy Spirit. Once you make that choice, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the judgment of God when it comes to you is finished. You are a believer. You are signed, sealed, and one day will be delivered to your rightful inheritance. You now have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ. You are no longer flesh first. You are Holy Spirit first, taking flesh manifestation, so that as much any decision you make is going to be first and foremost based on what the Holy Spirit, not with just knowledge, wisdom would bring you to. Yes, it is a choice, but the choice ends when you defer and default. Give your all, your everything, including your intellect and knowledge, and all of this good human operation, emotional and psychological operation stuff God has given you to Jesus. Because he will then (laughs) make sure that it's all given to the Holy Spirit. And he will then allow, as with the Holy Spirit, allowance, God allowance, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost being one. That's what I'm trying to capture. He will then allow, and the Holy Spirit will then allow, and they justify one another, even as there is in that Trinity justification of God and his truth, his word, living word, Jesus will begin to speak to you in empirical dimensions, translate, for the sake of then taking all that the Holy Spirit, which God has given us, equipped us for life, all things for life from the very beginning, all things for life he has given us his word just assists us to make our best efforts to be in logistically the right place mind wise more than even physically so to receive it but should you stop receiving it you immediately become a denier it does not 
mean that the devil can steal it from you because he could never take it from you. That is why, again, believing the Holy Spirit has been there all along and why in the book of Acts, the Gentiles proved it wasn't just because we were diversity, equality, equity, whatever it is. Inclusion, DEI. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Minded, woke, minded. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just superficial. And it's bizarre if it leads to denying reality, fact, that is basis construct, basis to reality and truth. You can't do that. You're denying science. You're denying implicitly all the... It's the paradox. It's really hypocrisy. I'm kind, but I call it a paradox of all paradoxes. It's the hypocrisy of all hypocrisies. And how do we know... You're going to die. You're going to continue to live in that shadow of death I mentioned a moment ago. You can call me a denier all you want. I don't believe you. I believe Jesus. I believe the Word of God. I believe the Holy Spirit. And for the sake of, logistically, my receiving of the Holy Spirit, my cooperation my choosing to believe rather than deny is what allows me to receive the Holy Spirit, not because he hasn't been there, but because I've been fighting against him. There is a war occurring within my member, as the Apostle Paul in King James phraseology came to describe it. It's an enmity with the truth. Yes, the Gentiles did not know it in the same way the Hebrew people did because the Hebrew people had been chosen by God not only for the sake of distribution of his word as with the Holy Spirit manifesting himself from within them. We call that introspection and insight. They're quite an introspective and insightful culture. (laughs) And with that, they caught glimpses until Jesus came as with through a glass darkly but with Christ the full revelation of what God had been trying to show them in material bodily terms came to them but they were deniers they received him not the light of the world and with that then they too perish But not because they're Jews or Hebrew or because they're Gentiles. The Gentiles in the book of Acts proved they had at least the basics of the two great commandments. To know there is but one God and to love him with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And out of that loving others as you love yourself. But they didn't need to have it put in those terms. Church talk. Hebrew talk, they just needed to be, I guess, reminded, or at least I think it was more than they knew it all along. They needed to be reminded. They knew how to love. The Hebrew people in their atheism, in their agnosticism, were killing people. They were judging people inferior and a threat to the paradigm. 
that somehow you've got to get it right. You've got to be perfect. Because if you can't, then you're not really of God. Because he doesn't like anything that isn't perfect. Well, that's not entirely wrong. There is aspirational elements for the flesh or the sake of the flesh that we're called to. That is, again, why there is choice. But the Holy Spirit proves to you that God is not about killing you because he's been there all along. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, God has been in you all along. You've just not accepted him as you've accepted Jesus Christ and found him to be alive in you because you needed a personification of that that looked like you. Again, tasted, touched, smelled, even as you did. And therein, relatable, and therein, an advocate with the Father. It's hard to relate to God. No person could put eyes upon God because of our flesh and our empiricism. Little did we know that we really didn't need to because we knew him in the greater of forms, which is spiritually because he was already in us. The judgment is once you come to that awareness, as the Gentiles already demonstrated that, they knew how to love. They weren't about necessarily killing one another. There were certainly elements of the Gentiles that were quite the same as the Hebrews. And the same course, no like, no, undoubtedly, unlikely, or likely, was the same. Isu, trauma, hurt, pain, killing, stealing, and destroying all those things of the devil, Satan, Lucifer, that still brings forth out of human nature, even if from a prior, previous dispensation, makes it demons, spiritual oppression, demonic oppression, a reality. And you can say, all of that sounds like a really crazy talk. And get me back to the word of God, which is all right. I think in that sense, it is all built upon the word of God. But the choice just needs to be very practical and pragmatic. If you don't believe in life, if you live in the shadow of death, that's all you're going to get is the, sh the shadow of death. All you're going to get is from that is death. That's what I believe acts as set up for, logistically, the book of Romans to capture. And last podcast, or more capture, more than simply capture, empirically prove. That's what I want to say. According to the truth, the reality, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's why last podcast... I was reading from Romans chapter 2 because I just wanted to once again establish, even as Paul said it, the Gentiles had the Holy Spirit even from the beginning of creation. Not just from the beginning of meeting Paul, not even just from the beginning of meeting Jesus, but from the very beginning Jesus breathed life into us a second time through the gospel message and his demonstration 
of the reality in terms that we as humans, all humans, universally could grasp. Because once more, the conclusion of iniquity and sin, as then under the influence of Satan, <laughs> Lucifer, dare I say it, demonic possession, oppression, will not only be manifest iniquity, but will be death. For the sake of love, however, and to be even as high-ordered as the Gentiles were, some. And I'm not saying they did not have evil in them. That's not the message. They just had Christ or the manifestation of the Christ in them, at least the hope of the Christ in them, as much as the Hebrew people did. And why would it then be difficult for the true gospel of God and Jesus Christ to help them say, oh, that's it, as they point to Jesus. That's the Messiah, as they point to Jesus. That's what I've been hoping to be my whole life. That's the perfect, complete man in human terms, but also the perfected, completed person in Holy Spirit terms. Because in Holy Spirit, particularly when you get into love, you get into grace and mercy, the moment that you sin, make a mistake, there's already somebody in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, with love on their heart, there to forgive you, which perfects it and completes it and allows all of us to continue to function even when we're not as functional, adaptive, as we'd like to be. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God was manifest unto humankind for the sake of not only ministry as grace and mercy, survival, sanctification, knowledge, even so a priority to Jesus' coming manifestation, the Christ coming. But now for New Testament, the Holy Spirit not only in word, living word, but in similar grace and mercy can have the full effect, the grace and mercy that is, come to pass as God intended it. So that all who believe upon Jesus as the Messiah will also then understand the Old Testament word of God was just to help you realize, have an awareness and insight you could do better and that there is better. And should you see, as with manifestation, corruption of what God's intentioned truth, reality was for the human creation, not only Old Testament but in New Testament context, you'd logistically could begin to make choices. Oh, I need to correct that. Oh, I need to try a little harder. Oh, I need to understand it. I need to be a bit more introspective. I need to look at myself, my heart, try to understand empirically, scientifically, as with research methodology, why I'm doing things that I know I shouldn't do. That's why the Bible is empirically 
I believe, sound. It passes all standard for research methodology. In the end, it will be proven entirely truth. We're just not there yet. How do I know that? Some of us are, but for those that aren't, we're still having this thing go back and forth. It's like a good journal. Good journals used to be, um, you could argue things back and forth. Disputation was not evil. You just point counterpoint until you finally came to consensus of the truth. And you can do all that through trial and error, which really without the Holy Spirit, what would life be without Jesus? Not only are you going to run the risk of a lot of folks continuing that path of perdition, of going in the direction of death and dying and creating a bit of hellish sort of dimension to material life for the rest of us, even as we might want to claim heaven. We've got to live with them and the consequences of that. But science will one day get there. Because Jesus will come again. And they'll be judged. All those that did not believe in Christ, based on his first coming, the appearance of the Messiah, the advent. Then when he comes again, that will be the pronouncement. That will be, again, the white throne judgment. But not only for the individual. I believe it will be for the species, the human species. But right now, if you believe in Jesus, good. (laughs) You believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, good. You believe in the word, living word, narrative, good. Because your future is sealed. (laughs) Signed, sealed, and delivered. There's a covenant, a promise. You have made it into heaven. Can you fall into apostasy and disbelief? Yes. What will it take? I think a lot. You'd have to go against science. But you'd have to go against the Holy Spirit. But the Word of God does say you can be grievous of the Holy Spirit to the point where you will fall into a worser state than you began with. And it will take you to death. And there is no redemption in that because that too is as basic as a life or death choice. But if you don't believe the Holy Spirit has been there all along and that all of us are going to be equally judged or you insert yourself in a position of making a premature judgment or you don't allow the most eloquent, elegant I should say first, and exquisite and efficacious, then eloquent, as with capturing it in word, sharing that judgment, teaching of, (laughs) that's what we're doing right now, aligning the carnal knowledge of good and evil, calibrating that, tethering that to the truth of God, We'll get out in the weeds, and then we'll kill one another. And then when you get blood on your hands, and that becomes your judgment, and you've pronounced that in that way, and you've condemned somebody, and then you've gone to the extent of killing them, you are are contributing to their death (laughs) eternal now. (laughs) And any that would have seen it. That's how the devil works That's how come, even though he's of a former dispensation, he's alive now. Because that's how easy it is to fall into the trap. 
That's what the book of Romans is about. Paul is speaking to the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew people. And their persistent judgment, for those that were continuing to judge, superficially, without going deeper, without really applying rational, logical, reasoned thought, without allowing there to be a healthy disputation, a healthy dialogue, a point-counterpoint. Apologetics is what they call it. Occurring. That's what the gospel message is about. But the epistle of Romans, all of gospels, the word of God is about. But even so, specifically the epistle that Paul wrote to the Romans, you've got to start somewhere. And unfortunately for the lost, it's got to be in the flesh. But you have the great advantage of the Holy Spirit already working with them from within to the same end. (laughs) So you've got a bit of an advantage. And maybe it's enough that you won't be too reactive in your judgment. Because I'm going to read something here that I know is going to get a reaction out of you, those of you who are believers, And probably from those of you who are deniers. But you won't like it as a denier. You're not going to like it any better than the believers. But I would hope the believers in Jesus Christ are going to be a bit more gracious and merciful and allow the Holy Spirit and God's judgment to predominate. So now, instead of Romans 2, I'm going to go back to Romans 1. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit, that's a small s, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. 
Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was prevented thus far, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations." And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness or uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did exchange the natural use for that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their own or in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was fitting." And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not seemly, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. 
who knowing the judgment of God that they who commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And I'm going to read the first first in Romans 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them who commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them who do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up, or treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also the Greek. For there is no respect of persons with God. We have a few moments. <laughs> Aren't you glad? We only have a few moments left on today's podcast. I would wish <laughs> that I could, as I read that, could have established all the things that I said <laughs> in uh, exegesis a, a priori before having read it. I couldn't. We don't have the time on today's podcast. Suffice to say, however, the point about judgment should be clear. God is at work judging all creation righteously because all creation, all creation, that is human, has equal access to God from the very beginning because he has given his Holy Spirit unto all of us. The devil cannot steal it from you. The devil cannot trick you into making a bad choice except you would not realize it. And should you not realize the trickery in it and make the bad choice and then choose not to correct it by repentant Penitent repentance by your heart, not your consciousness, your conscience conviction. What is the conscience? It is the, if it is not the Holy Spirit, it is in more humanistic terms, it is the repository, the place where God is deposited, where the Holy Spirit has come to reside when he created humankind beginning with Adam. Adam. 
the conscience is that place the Holy Spirit dwells. It is part of your soul. It is the divine soul. But it also, as I had to even say, it might not, could possibly not be exactly the same as the Holy Spirit, except you would accept Jesus. It won't be because it is already the piercing, dividing asunder of soul and spirit. <laughs> Join tomorrow. You have a human soul. That is the distinction. Jesus brings the two together. And even with that, simply the conscience, Holy Spirit, sort of dimension, the knowledge of good and evil, which may actually be as much human apparatus, divine impartation of the Holy Spirit from the beginning, was one with God, but quickly went different ways. <laughs> with the trickery of the devil. And now in Jesus, we're working toward, or the Holy Spirit, we're assisting, as with evangelism, as with teaching, as with speaking, reading, studying, doing our empiricism research properly, we are proving, validating the Word of God, not for the sake that it needs validation, but for the sake that we do. That's how it works. The tree of life first. Holy Spirit first and foremost and always. The knowledge of good and evil is second. God advised, don't partake of that. But every human has. <laughs> Would it have not been nice if we not? But it is probably not only consciousness, awareness. It is all those introspective, insightful, higher cortical, parasympathetic operations. I want to get that right. I got that confused a bit earlier. I hope I said it right. I'm not going to edit it, though. You need to know I'm human. <laughs> of logic and reasoning. We don't need to prove God. That's not what the podcast is about. We just need to appeal to those who are deniers <laughs> so that they might be saved and allow God, they, us, his judgment of proving himself. The Holy Spirit working on their behalf so that in the end, if they reject, it's not because they didn't get equal opportunity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's because they didn't want it. And then they went around coming up with DEI to force all of us who believe as if we're the ones that don't believe. You've got to believe it. But they're doing it hypocritically because really what they're wanting to say is, yes, and we just want to punish you because you're calling us out on the fact that we didn't begin with good, sound science. We didn't begin with good, solid premise. We didn't begin with the truth, or at least a genuine, sincere desire to find the truth. We began with an angle. <laughs> we began with a distortion. And why, I said before I read these verses... I'm probably going to get a little hate from both sides. I hate it that that's what the world has come to. As I read about all the 
judgments in material dimensions, even manifestations of iniquity and sin, human, all leading directly or all originating from and then leading directly back to disobedience of God's word and disrespect of the truth and the reality. But even for believers, it's hard to hear that. And now to see it. But we're seeing it. It's empiricism. It's proof. This is what happens when Jesus isn't there. The book of Revelation is where the world comes to absent the Holy Spirit when Jesus isn't there. And the Holy Spirit is, even as Jesus was crucified on the cross, the devil thought he had him. He was dead. We never hear from him again. That's the same thing in the book of Revelation when the Holy Spirit is removed, but only for a moment. And then all of a sudden, the eastern sky is split and Jesus appears. That's true insight, is it not? That's true discernment. That's true awareness. But this is what happens when Jesus isn't there. This is what happens when we don't believe in the word, living word. This is what happens when we don't accept Jesus as the Messiah, as our Lord and Savior. When we don't take Jesus' gospel as truth. We don't receive the Holy Spirit and he dies as we die. Materially. But he doesn't die. He's eternal. Should then the human soul go anywhere, it's eternal death because there is no redemption for you. No resurrection for you once you pass through the first death. Because at that point, it's a done deal. If it is signed, sealed, and delivered, it is based on your choice. A very basic one at that. I started the podcast with that notion. A simple one. We don't have to get out in the weeds, make it any more complex than it already has become. (laughs) Twisting it and the word of God is all seduction stuff. That's what the devil did to Adam and Eve. We don't need to do that. Just need to keep it basic. Keep it simple. It's about life and death. That's the tether to reality and truth. And it's about whether or not we really believe the Holy Spirit has been there all along. Because if we don't, we've committed the unpardonable. We've already judged ourselves. And that's what Paul's trying to warn them. If you're showing all of these signs, maybe you're not much different from them, even if you claim, hypocritically so, anti-Christ so, you're in the name of Jesus, you're not. That's the dividing (laughs) line that we use in pastoral care. Christian counseling. That's what will save you. That's also good for reproof and correction. And that's why the Word of God is not only at times the majority of the podcast, but it's the majority of the counseling as well. It is truth, it is life. It is intellectually the standard, but it sets us in a, puts us in a position where we can submit to it intellectually. Our human member, when you remove disobedience, when you remove carnal nature, when you remove mortality, when you remove threat, when you turn off the 
sympathetic nervous system operations and we enter into the realm of the parasympathetic, it all makes sense. And all of a sudden you begin to hear Jesus speaking to you from within. You're not crazy. Should you want that? That's basis for any pastoral care. Christian counseling according to the Word of God. Then certainly you can call us 304-528-9220. You can find us at covenantsonline.com. You can email us at covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. We're on Facebook and YouTube at Covenants. Making sure I didn't forget anything there. I think I got it all. And you can come back for our next podcast, which we, again, drop weekly. Until then, God bless you. Sincerely, genuinely. And I want to say thanks.